0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I have felt absolutely and personally victimized by Netflix. (laughs) I think we all know the question that Netflix has asked us on occasion that we don't want Netflix to ask us. That question that pops up on our screen, whether it is on our TV screen, our phone screen, or our computer screen, that question which haunts us, whether it is ourselves Ben's watching or hoping that our kid will just uh, enjoy this TV show for a few minutes longer so I can get things done, that question that we all know very well is, are you still watching? Are you still there? Is this, yes, this is your 10th time through the office. Do you really want to keep going? Are you still watching? For some of us, it's, it's a question that's asked of us, right? That we binge watch, we have it on in the background. Maybe we work from home, and that is the white noise that we put on to keep ourselves productive. Or perhaps you're a parent, and you think, if I could just get an hour to wash dishes, an hour to fold laundry, to take care of these three things. If, if my kid would just not tug at my sleeve, I, who I love dearly, but who I need to wash their clothes. And you sort of say, please, please, child, would you just, would you just watch Dino Trucks for a little bit longer? And then all of a sudden, without warning... As if somebody hit the mute button, you can't hear it anymore. And on your screen is that question. Are you still watching? Check yes, no, or maybe. And when we think about our last of the seven deadly sins, we come to sloth. And when we think about the idea of sloth, this is the picture that we come up with in our mind. We come up with this idea that sloth is just us sitting on the couch, eating potato chips, watching and binge watching TV shows over and over again. That's the minds. That's what we come up with sloth, or we come up with the the character of the sloth, right? In the cartoons, what does the sloth do? Nothing. He just kind of hangs out. He's very slow. If you have kids and watch the recent movie Zootopia, you will know that this is the DMV. Right? The DMV worker who's in no hurry to do anything is the sloth. And we like this picture. We like this picture that the sloth is just, is people that aren't like us. I mean, yes, maybe we've seen The Office or Parks and Rec or whatever your binge-worthy TV show is one too many times. But, but the slothful people are the people that eat potato chips and do that. I wash, I do it while I'm washing dishes, so I'm okay. And we sort of put slothful people as people that are out there. I don't, I don't just sit around the house. I'm not slothful. It's interesting because in some ways, St. Pete is a very slothful city. Now, that may come as a shock, right? I mean, after all, we're a city that hustles hard. We're a city of of entrepreneurs. We're a city of people who are always on their way. We ride our bikes to work. It's, it's no car April. I don't know if you've heard about this in St. Pete, but, you know, you're not supposed to use your car. You're supposed to ride your bike to work or ride an electric vehicle or do it, right? We're the city that hustles and does those things. We're a city that values education and hard work. We're a city that values expertise. Certainly, we're not a slothful city. We're a city that loves the finer things. We want our coffee to be of a certain quality. We want our restaurants to be very good. And you better not bring some non local beer to our parties because we have very distinguished taste, right? This is who we are as a city. And none of those things seem slothful to us. And the reason why we like to keep this cartoonish picture of what sloth is, the reason why we maintain this idea that that sloth is just binge-watching TV, that sloth is just being lazy, the reason why we keep this cartoon caricature of sloth is because it prevents us from being accused of being slothful. We like that picture of sloth because it's not a picture of us and that makes it okay. That's not, oh, I work hard. I'm okay. So that doesn't convict me. The problem is, is that laziness, Well, the problem is, is that laziness is a lazy definition of sloth. Laziness, laziness is a slothful way to think about sloth. Here's what sloth really is. What sloth really is in your life and mine is a lack of joy and love for anyone or anything. That's what real sloth is. It isn't just sitting on the couch. It's a lack of joy and love for anyone or anything. You see, if you love something, if you're absolutely joyful about something, guess what? It takes hard work to be devoted to it. I, I see this in my my middle son all the time. He's a he's a he loves and is joyful about Pokemon. And if you would like to know anything about any Pokemon, he will be happy to tell you. And guess what? It's hard work for him because he will literally buy books that are descriptions of Pokemon. And read them and memorize, Dad, did you know that Charizard is 1.93 meters tall? No, son, I did not. Nor do I think I will ever need that information again, but thank you. He works hard, right? We don't work hard to love anything, do we? In fact, what it's pretty blasé as adults to be excited about anything. What happens when one of your friends comes to you and is really excited about something? Hey, easy guy. <laughs> Chill out. Right? This is this is why we have the joke, right? An avid podcast listener, a guy who goes to CrossFit, and a vegan walk into a bar. Do you know how you know that any of them do those things? Because they will tell you, right? What what's the what what can you not go an hour without talking to a CrossFitter before you know about what they did yesterday, right? Talk to somebody who listens to podcasts all the time. Guess what they're going to tell you within 20 minutes of talking to you. You know what I heard the other day? (laughs) We hear that. We make those jokes because it is genuinely against our grain to love and be joyous and passionate about anything, What you call that severing of love and joy and passion from anything in your life, what that's called is sloth. It also works in other ways. You see, it's not just being lazy. But if you're really trying to avoid love and joy in something, guess what you can do? You can work really hard to avoid those that you love. You can hustle so that you don't have to deal with difficult questions. In our city, one of the ways that our sloth comes out the most is in our cynicism and snobbery. Let's be honest, St. Pete. City church, this city, and us as a group, as a culture, are snobby people, aren't we? Right? Well, you know, I like Rococo steak, but it's no Bowen and you know, flying boats good, but it's no green bench intermezzo, you know, ever since intermezzo got their new coffee machine, you know, they've been almost as good as bandit, but flat bread and butter is really, And we have these like really sort of refined opinions about every minuscule thing, you know, the, the terroir noir on this wine isn't as good as the one I had in Bordeaux. Yeah, this game is great, but it's not as good as Settlers of Catan. And that that constant feeling of something else is better, that there's something else going on that that was better, or I remember a time when it was better, that is sloth. That's refusing to be joyous. That's refusing to say what I have in front of me is wonderful. The people that I'm playing this game with are great. Let me enjoy this just for a moment because instead we constantly fold our arms and grimace and are reminded of something. Well, it was better. You've met that guy. How annoying is that guy at the party whenever you tell a story and he's got the one-up story? When he's got to come up and top your story. How many times has that been your pastor? And at the end of the day, what that is, is sloth. You see, we keep this character, this cartoon of sloth as our definition to prevent ourselves from having to deal with the fact that most of us are loveless and joyless in our lives. We don't want to think about the fact that we don't experience genuine love. That we don't experience true joy. And it's because we have cut those parts out of our life. But that's what sloth really is. In fact, we're in good company if we feel slothful. Because Jesus' disciples experienced the exact same thing. And in fact, it's appropriate that here on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about a story that happened in the last week of Jesus' life. It happened right after the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, after he had the Passover meal with his disciples, sort of the, the height, the culmination of his ministry to these men, to these 12 men. Well, let's see how things go. Would you stand? I'm going to read from Luke 22. Luke tells us this and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him and when he came to the place he said to them pray that you may not enter temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying father if you are willing to remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. When he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and to the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. See, the disciples and the people around Jesus in this story experienced sloth. Now, on the one hand, we can see it pretty easily with the ones that were falling asleep. But in general, this is really a story where we see people who have cut themselves off, who are loveless and joyless. Because that's what sloth really is. And it sloth shows up in a number of ways. On the one hand, it does show up as laziness. While sloth is a, or while laziness is a lazy definition of sloth, it is also a true one. And for us, it's easy for us to think that we're not lazy because we're doing something. And yet how often, if you were to open the first screen on your phone, do you find monumental time wasters? How much time do you spend scrolling and popping bubbles? How much time do you spend just mindlessly staring at the black mirror of the TV, the black mirror of your phone? I think for most of us, it's more than we want to admit. I think for most of us parents, we sort of know that that time after bedtime is sacred. And the reason that for most of us it's sacred is because it's time where I can turn my brain off. How often is that the case? Because I just want to be distracted. Because I don't want to have to think about more difficult things. Because I don't want to have to actively love. We see sloths show up in that way. But it also shows up as busyness. Where we are working so hard. And yet not loving those who we have been called to love well. How many times have we seen our hobbies, our families, our relationships wrecked because of our commitment to being busy at work? And maybe the real question here is, how many times have you and I used work as an excuse to stay away from our family? You know, if I, if I just file this one more report, I won't get home until after bedtime. And then I don't have to do as much. Hmm. Sorry, honey, I can't make it. I've got one more TPS report that I've got to fill out. I've got one more thing that I need to do. And so it may feel like we're not being slothful. may feel like we're not being lazy because we're working. But are we really stepping away from the things that should bring us joy? Are we really being love less in those moments? But I think there's something that's probably more descriptive of us. Which is the way that we as Christians contend to replace real love and joy in Jesus with religious doing of stuff. Christians, how often do we think that if we know enough about Jesus that equals loving Jesus? If I just know all the right answers, if I know all the Bible trivia, I know all the jokes about the disciples were in one accord and that's a Honda, ha, ha, ha. If I know all the Bible trivia of where the Bible verses are to be found, that equals my love of God. You see, that's sloth. Because what that's doing is saying... I don't want to do the hard work of actually looking at my heart. I don't want to do the hard work of actually looking at my soul. So instead, I'm just going to fill up that space and time with with religious trivia. I'm going to do a lot of good works. I'm going to do a lot of good things. I'm I'm going to give a lot of money to the church so that I don't have to think about what's actually going on in my heart. See, on the one hand, we can use time wasters to distract ourselves from what matters. But on the other hand, we can even use good things. We can even use our good works. We can even use religious and Christian things. And we see all of this sort of play out in the disciples. Think about the story. They're coming from the upper room. The culmination of Jesus Teaching to the disciples. The sort of moment where he has tied everything together. And he sits there. And he has the Passover meal and says, Look, look, all of this Passover stuff that you've known since you were children, I'm the Lamb of God. All of this Passover stuff that you've known since you were children, the new covenant is finding its fulfillment in me. The, The disciples could have had no more intellectual knowledge about Jesus than they did in that moment. He was telling them everything. And yet, how devoted were they to his mission? What's going to happen at the end of our story? Once Jesus is arrested, where do the disciples go? They gone. They scatter. They're nowhere to be found. All of a sudden, all that knowledge that they have does them zero good. Because they don't have love and joy and devotion in Jesus. Think about specifically about Peter. Peter is very quick to cut off a dude's ear, right? Which, by the way, probably means Peter was pretty awful at doing swords, (laughs) right? Because if you're trying to cut off somebody's head, you got to be a pretty bad shot to just hit an ear. Peter was bad at doing swords, but he's quick to do it. He's quick to try. Do you know what Peter's not quick to do in the passage that we read? Pray. How often are you and I quick to do a big showy religious thing, do the thing that everybody will notice, put Jesus on our profile, and how slow are we to do something that no one else can see? Like pray. Pray. park the amount of time you've spent on social media versus the amount of time you've spent in prayer you know what you probably don't want to do that do you i know i don't because we are quick to try to do something and slow to be devoted and loving just like peter why can't you stay awake peter In in Matthew's version of the story, Jesus comes back three times. Guys, they're about to come and get me. Pray for me. Got you, Jesus. And he's back asleep. Guys, they're coming. Yeah, I'm going to take a nap. Again and again and again. How quick is the story of your life and mine that we are quick to do some religiously showy thing and slow to do quiet private worship and love of Jesus or maybe or maybe we see ourselves more in the story of Judas who cannot think creatively about who Jesus is who cannot imagine a messiah who is going to die for his people and so he decides to cut bait cut bait and make some cash Or the religious leaders who are too slothful despite the fact that Jesus has stood in the temple day after day after day and said, Look, you go read the scriptures. The scriptures are going to point to me. Go read them. And what do the people do? What do the religious leaders do? They say, pass. In fact, you're kind of being a pain. So what we're going to do is hand you over to Rome. In all of these cases, the case of the disciples, the case of Peter, of Judas, of the religious leaders, all of them are showing the fact that they are not joyously devoted, that they are loveless and joyless, that they are lazy and slothful. And so that's what we find is the opposite of sloth. It's joyous devotion it's the path of resistance think think about this if you're married here's the best picture of what the opposite of sloth is you get into an argument with your spouse and how quick how quick are we when we get into an argument with our spouse to separate to our corners of the house and just wait just wait until both of us cool off and then we can come back together mumble something in the general direction, and then be done with it. How how many times have you thought about your roommate? Maybe you're not married, but maybe you have a roommate. Maybe you have siblings. How quick are we to just ignore what's really going on, wait for the hard times to blow over, and then be fine? That is picture-perfect sloth, because is that loving to the other person? Is that joyful devotion to the other person? No. What's the hard path of resistance that it really looks like? What it really looks like is walking the 25 feet from your side of the house. It's the talking to the other person, to engaging them, to saying those really difficult words like, I'm sorry. Or or maybe even the, the real tough words like, I was wrong. true joyful devotion is the path of resistance is pushing through difficulty because of how much you love something. Because let me tell you something, church, if you love something, you will push through those moments. If you really love something, You will be willing to encounter being uncomfortable for it. Think about back in the day when Ticketmaster and like actual physical Ticketmaster places were the only place that you could get tickets. I know for some of you, this is like me talking about another world, but it was true. And if you wanted to go to a concert, you had to wake up early in the morning and stand outside and wait in line at a little kiosk. And hope that you got your tickets on time. No more having five laptops fired up to Ticketmaster, you know, and looking like Minority Report trying to get your U2 tickets. No, no, no. You had to go stand in line. Why would people do that uncomfortable thing? Because of how much they loved what they were going to go see. The opposite of sloth is joyful devotion even when things are difficult. Because it's easier. It's easier. It's easier to ignore fights with our spouse and just move on and let things cool down. It's, it's easier not to confess our sins, to just hide them and hope nobody notices, to pretend that everything is okay. It's, it's easier to avoid accountability, to not tell other people where we need help. And after all, Being intentionally involved with God's community, the church, is hard work. And I'm not sure I want to do it. See, at the end of the day, that is our sloth. At the end of the day, it is not just laziness. It is not just some cartoon character watching The Office for the ninth time eating chips. Rather, sloth is our lovelessness and our joyous joylessness. We need to learn joy and love. We need to be forgiven. We need to walk away from our apathy and our escapism. But how? Because the thing about apathy is it's the path of least resistance. And that's just fine to the enemy. Because for the enemy, you doing nothing, you loving nothing, is just as good, is just as much of a victory as you doing the wrong thing. Satan is just as content with you doing nothing as he is with you doing bad things. So long as you're not doing the good things, so long as you're not working hard, so long as you're not joyously devoted, everything is fine. So where do we learn this? How do we get away from our apathy? How do we escape our escapism? And the beautiful answer in this story and in our lives is the picture of Jesus. Because Jesus not only dies to forgive us, but when he talks about the cup, When he in this story prays that the cup would be taken away, he's talking about the cup of wrath, the wrath for your sins and mine, the wrath for your apathy and sloth, the wrath for my escapism and laziness. He is taking and drinking that cup down to the bottom when he goes to the cross. But not only is he working to forgive us of our sins, but what he's also doing Is he is showing us something new. He's giving us a picture of something else. Because why does the Bible say Jesus stayed on the cross? After all, he was fully God. He could have stepped down at any time. What kept him up there? The Bible tells us. The thing that kept him up there was the joy that was set before him. You know what that joy that kept Jesus on the cross was? Do you know what that thing that he was looking forward to was? It was you. It was me. It was the redemption and the life change in your life and mine that he was accomplishing through the cross. That joy is what kept him there. City Church, that is how treasured you are. That is how joyously devoted Jesus is to you. And so as we begin to see that, as we begin to admit our own apathy, our own desires to escape, as we sort of begin to confess that, what we find is that Jesus is there, joyously devoted and loving of us. Even when we don't deserve it. Even though we could never pay back that kind of love, that's what he shows to us. And when we begin to experience that sort of love, it changes us. City Church, the good news is, this is a quote from Anne Lamott, that Jesus loves you exactly how you are. But Jesus loves you so much, he's not going to leave you exactly where you are. And that's what he's doing. As we reflect more and more on His love for us, on the way He is working hard to make us holy, we begin to see things and learn. We begin to become joyously devoted to Him and to others, which in turn gives us the ability to experience joy again. All of a sudden, being married isn't a task It's not a ball and chain, it's a joy. Having a child isn't a task, it is a joy when I can see their wonder. Being in school isn't arduous. It's a privilege to learn. Having a job that is a grind isn't just bad, it is a beautiful opportunity for us to show the goodness of Jesus through continuous and repeated hard work. City Church, these are the ways that we are being called to see Jesus, to reflect Him, and then wage His peace here in St. Petersburg. Let's pray.